Well, Zach, you ready to go to school to learn you some knowledge here today? I ain't never liked much school. Well, too bad, because in this episode, we're going to talk about some geography, vocabulary, economics, agronomics, and all kinds of other economics. Nope. Not interested in that. But wait, Zach, there's more. Go on. (laughs) Are you ready for it? Go on. Zach, we have beer here today. We have risen to the epitome of our careers in the podcast world. Not quite, because we haven't gotten the helicopter yet, but we get to drink beer on the podcast today, this is great. And we don't have to go to school? No, I guess we don't have to go to school. They don't really like if you're drinking beer at school. Then I'm in. Well, everybody, welcome back to what is sure to be in a, another very exciting episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. I am Mitchell Hora. And I'm Zach Johnson. We are Farmers Talking to Farmers. Thanks a ton to the Walton Family Foundation for all of their support of the Fieldwork Podcast this season. Today, we are learning about a brand new topic, and that is called Kernza. Another topic that I know zero about. So, Well, see, now you're going to know how I felt when we were talking about things like, um, I already forgot what it's called. <laughs> Car- <laughs> carbon sequestration. See, I know just about zero yeah, about that, so I rely pretty heavily on you. Kernza. We're going to have to figure out what the heck is it, how we're going to grow it, how we're going to sell it, how we're going to eat it, and evidently, how we're going to drink it out of a nice brown bottle. Yeah, that's the part that I'm really, really interested in myself, but we're going to get to that later. Right. I guess we got to do the business part first. We've got Tessa Peters from the Land Institute in Kansas here with us. The script says... Tessa Peters, expert in Kernza from the Land Institute. So Tessa, please tell us what the heck is Kernza, but also what is the the Land Institute and your role there? So Kernza is one of the perennial grain crops that we've been working on at the Land Institute for 20 plus years. The grain that's harvested from intermediate wheatgrass. So intermediate wheatgrass is a a crop that has been grown in the United States for about a hundred years as a forage crop for cattle, primarily cattle to eat. The Land Institute is a not-for-profit research organization that is centered in Saline County, Salina, Kansas. Researchers and plant breeders there have been working to develop perennial grain crops. And my job as the director of crop stewardship is to take those crops and try and get them out onto the landscape and into people's mouths, essentially. (laughs) And we partner really closely with the the University of Minnesota, who has the first released variety of Kernza on the market today. Well, and we have, I believe, one of the first growers that is growing some of the first variety. Luke Peterson's here with us. He's a farmer from Minnesota. Luke, walk us through, like, help us to visualize here. How big does Kernza get? How did you plant it? It, Did you just plant it in 2020 for the first time, or it was planted in 2019, harvested 2020? Tell us about, and then how many acres do you have going? How are you harvesting it? How do you, like, is it a small grain? Is it big? How How do you do it? I'll give you all the backstory I got. I came on to Carmen Fernholz's farm in 2014. He had a wagon sitting in the corner of his shed, and uh, he told me to hop up in there and take a look and see what I thought. 
And I told him, I thought it looked like straw. I said, did you harvest, did you harvest the wagon full of straw? And he laughed and said, no, this is Kernza. In 2018, he got uh, asked by the University of Minnesota to plant uh, the newest release out of Minnesota called Minnesota Clearwater. And he planted about 15 acres of it. The crop came up nice. The field turned into a six foot tall, basically prairie where it was waving in the wind and you could hardly see each other walking through it. And pretty soon seeds started developing on the top, on, on the top of this grass. In the fall of 2019, we harvested that crop. And thinking back to that trailer load of straw that was in his shed when I first came onto his farm, in that short amount of time, we climbed up in the hopper and we dug our hands down into the grain tank and we had a handful of grain. And that was a perennial grain. And we both kind of looked at each other and we didn't, didn't have to say nothing. And this is as farmers. This isn't as marketers or anything. Like this is as farmers saying like, we have a grain full of hopper here that came off of a perennial grain crop. So then after seeing that, I felt very motivated to plant another 18 acres of it with no market. We, we planted it. There was no market for it. We put it in the ground. After we harvested the 2020 crop, then we started to realize that there's definitely potential in the market for this crop. There are companies that are curious and there are companies that are willing to take the chance to move product uh, onto the shelves that can be eaten as food. That led me to planting another 40 acres of it. So we still have Carmen's initial 2018 planting in the ground, the next 18 acres that I planted, and an additional 40. So we have roughly 70 to 80 acres of currants planted right now on our farm. And considering you know the size of our farm may be small, 700 plus acres, you know, that's 10% of our farm is planted into this crop. So it's pretty significant. So you planted it without a market, but is it still sitting on the farm or did you find a market somewhere? Yeah. So right now we are building a perennial promise co-op. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a space for farmers to market their perennial crops. We're in direct communication with the University of Minnesota and we're working with the best varieties that are coming out of these universities. And we're, used, we're working with the best agronomic practices to grow these crops. We're trying to bring these to the market in line with demand. There are a few companies in Minneapolis. One of them is uh, Perennial Foods. And he is building his own cleaning equipment. He's building his own dehulling equipment just because of the uniqueness of this crop. And he's milling it into flour and he's has sold it in 48 states. I'm working with another local maltster who is working with all the breweries within Minnesota. We have plans of making beer out of it in 2021. We have a, a lot of interest, but I think a lot of people are just letting things kind of play out and see whether or not it's something they want to be a part of. Tell us about your farm. Tell us what's been your experience like utilizing this Kernza. This crop isn't the one I'll be all and it isn't going to save the world, but it does have a very important place in a rotation. As far as our rotation on A-frame farms, we grow yellow corn. Um, that goes to a local livestock producer. We grow soybeans that go for seed. 
We grow spring wheat that goes to local mills and bakeries. We grow winter wheat. We grow barley. It's a malting variety. We grow flax. That goes to a local bakery and a local granola maker. We grow buckwheat. Uh, we grow streaker oats. They go to an online company that sells to home chefs. And uh, we grow alfalfa. We feed that to our livestock. Kernza, in that rotation, kind of plays the role of a rest period. Kernza is definitely a cash crop, but it may be a cash crop that could also give us that rest period as a perennial. And then you can sell the grain as food. And then you have the option to sell the biomass as feed, or better yet, what we're going to do on our farm, we're going to take the grain off the field, and by that time, the biomass has turned from forage to straw. And straw on an organic farm is very expensive. So if we can utilize that straw to overwinter our livestock in our northern climates, it's a big win for us. So, Luke, a quick clarifying point there you're utilizing all these different crops, but it's all organic here too on your operation. Is that right? I'm honestly trying to move my farm in the direction of becoming regenerative. And in that process, there's a lot of things to consider. The first one to consider is how do I remain profitable while doing this? I mean, there's lots of things that I would love to do, but if I can't sell a product off my farm, I better not do it or I won't be here to farm next year. Being organic, I can't use any synthetic fertilizers. So if I'm going to become regenerative and stay certified organic, I need to figure out a way to build fertility. And Kernza allows me to do that all while having an income from that crop at the same time. Normally crops like alfalfa, I can grow them. There isn't a huge income, but I'm still building fertility on my farm. So I, I call that the non-cash benefits of alfalfa. Whereas Kernza, if we can hold on to the market, I may be able to be profitable while growing my fertility. So really cool to me that you're using all these different things that you know we've utilized some of them on our farm here in Iowa, but mostly just as a cover crop. And uh, But how is this all tying into you? Or how do all these different crops, I guess, fit into your operation? Are you doing a lot of double cropping? Is there some relay crop stuff going on? And then as you're looking at, you know, a regenerative organic type system, are you doing a lot of this with little to no tillage or what's the process there look like? Yeah. So we've eliminated fall tillage completely on my farm. We've done companion crops with flax. One of them that I used was emmer and uh, that was just to compete with weeds. But other than that, there aren't any companion crops. So you have that combination of cover crops and you have that com combination of tillage, right? Normally on an organic farm, hand in hand, that comes with using tillage to terminate that cover crop or weeds for that matter. So like, just to give you an example, because there's so many different scenarios and it's so complex, we used to plant our small grains and underseed them with a red clover. And then after harvest, uh, clovers would come up and it was a beautiful green field that was knee high with red clover. And it was wonderful, but the downside was we had to go in there with tillage and till six, seven inches deep to terminate that crop. So what we moved to is harvesting our small grain crops, and then we will no-till in a cover crop behind them that winter kills. So basically, instead of tillage, we're using the winter cold to kill off our cover crops. And we have our carbon to nitrogen ratio kind of figured out on our farm, and I think it basically comes down to the diversity that we have. 
And in the spring, it's a beautiful thing for an organic farmer to have a cover crop all fall, all winter. And then when the soil microbes start coming alive in the, in the spring, they start breaking down that cover crop. And by the time I'm ready to plant my corn crop or my soybeans, that field is black. And I can work the ground with 10-inch sweeps on 6-inch spacings. No deep tillage. And I'm planting in my cash crop. And when I come through with the cultivator, the soil flows like butter. So I want to jump back to Tessa here and talk a little bit about what is Kernza used for and why was this developed? So <laughs> those are two big questions. Kernza is used in all kinds of different applications. It's used, as Luke was saying, in beer. And then it can also be used in baked goods. So breads and all kinds of unleavened goods. In breads, it's usually like part kerns of flour, part wheat flour. So up to like 15 to 30%, something like that of kerns of flour. The, it has gluten, but it's gluten is a lot weaker than in bread wheat. So it performs more like a soft white wheat or a rye in, in baking and is really great for pastries or crackers or cookies or anything like that. The Land Institute has a mission of changing agriculture from an annual agriculture where, you, where you're replanting every year and those crops are dying off yearly to having living roots in the ground. And Kernza is, one, is the first crop kind of out of the gate that, that has been developed at the Land Institute. And the goal is that soil health, soil preservation, building soil organic matter and having living roots in the soil we know is the most likely way to sequester carbon and preserve the health of soil. So Tessa, with you know some of the development here, it sounds like we're still pretty early into development. So give us some thoughts on the timeline, but also um, going to uh, our buddy Ryan here from Twitter asking about, you know, what about the timing of when you're planting these things and, and what's the availability for farmers around the Midwest? Um, could we plant it in Iowa? Could we plant it in Illinois? Give us a little bit of info on, you know, some of the specifics there on kind of how it gets planted and what's the status of that. Yeah. So I might let Luke answer the, like when to plant and things like that, but certainly, certainly Kernza is, has been grown in Illinois, has has been grown, I think, just on one farm in Iowa. And it does have to have that dormant period over the winter in order to trigger it to produce grain and flour. There is availability for growers in the Midwest. The main thing that we're really concerned about is ensuring that we build a market at the same time as we increase the number of acres. So our goal really has not been to scale up as fast as we possibly can. Our goal has been to scale up in partnership with growers and grower organizations to make sure that growers are able to make a living with this crop. And really Kearns has only been in in large-scale production over the last three years. And when I say large-scale, I mean we've gone from maybe like an acre to five acres, something like that, in, in a single plot. Now growers are growing, I think the largest contiguous acreage is about 150 acres. We've gone from just having maybe 250 acres, something like that, and most of that being on research plots, to now there are probably right around 4,000 acres in the ground. 
That opens up the door a little bit to a question that I've got here on Twitter. I'm going to jump this one uh, back to Luke, but it talks about, this is coming from a farmer, talking about the lack of the yield potential with Kernza right now being a major barrier for him. And he, I guess that that leads me wondering, Luke, how does it work in your operation? Because right now the yield potential on it is lower, correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's significantly lower than than what though? Like, is it, you know, wheat's a lot less yielding than corn. When are farmers going to stand up for themselves and say, look, yeah, maybe it yields less, but it also provides ecosystem services that are going to be better for the environment, for better for the water, better for the climate, um, and set a price to it so we can have a rotation and we're not dependent on corn and soybeans. So do you find that the, the fact that it is you know, a, a niche crop and there are niche markets for it, do you find that that helps to make up for, I guess, what you'd say would could be a lower yield? I think the way that I think about food, you know, as far as my farm goes, is when we cook food in our kitchen to eat, we use ingredients. And I think Kernza is just another ingredient. We'll be back after a short break. Tessa, how do, you know, at the Land Institute, you guys are talking about lots of different perennial type of options. What, how do you guys view that Kernza should be adopted in there? And how can other perennials be added into more growers operations around the Midwest? Yeah, well, so right now Kernza is the, the crop that's the farthest along coming out of the Land Institute, but certainly we don't think that it will be the only one. And we have a couple of other crops that are kind of up and coming. We work on perennial sorghum. We work on a an oilseed crop called silflower. We work on perennial wheat. And then we work also on perennial legumes. So we do envision an agriculture in which you would be able to plant all of these perennial crops in a diverse, at least a diverse rotation, if not having actual field diversity available. So that that is our ultimate goal. We're still at the beginning stages of, of figuring out how to grow these crops in those kind of perennial diverse mixtures. We call them polycultures. We don't really know how to get good yields. And part of it is that we don't have, you know, we haven't designed the harvest equipment and the planting equipment to be able to to deal with more than one crop at a time yet. So, so there's a lot that goes into getting there, but, but we're certainly hopeful that we might get there. I have a very hard hitting question here. How did the name Kernza come about? <laughs> yeah. So Kernza, um, is a, is a portmanteau of Colonel, which oh, is oh, what, a what? A portmanteau. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, a mashed I was together the word. Same thing, Zach. I was like, wait, wait we're talking about Kernza. We got to, we're trying to make it simple here. We just made it even more complicated. Well, so it's a, it's a, it's a, like a compound word, I guess, from kernel. So that is the edible part of a grain. So, and then Kanza. So the Kanza Prairie or the Kanza Research Station is a research station in Kansas where that we collaborated with for a long time in the production of Kernza. And that research station takes its name from the Ka people. So Kernza has, has those roots. It makes so much more sense now. So we're talking about a pretty unique crop here. We're talking about, you know, trying to figure out what are the best agronomic practices? What are the markets? 
what do we do with Kernza? And I'm going to jump it back to Tessa here. And, and, and we talked a little bit on yield earlier, but it's my understanding, Tessa, that there's a lot of studying going into figuring out how to increase that yield right now. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there are two kind of approaches, I think, when we talk about increasing yield on Kernza. Number one is just newer varieties with, with larger seed size that have less shattering, those kinds of things. And the breeders are working really hard on all of that. And at the same time, we, you know, I would say Luke and all of these growers are, are doing research on farm, you know, they are figuring out what the best agronomic practices are. We don't have a system of USDA extension agents out there who have ubiquitous knowledge of, of working with Kernza. We do have extension agents who are doing research as well, but a lot of the research is coming directly off the farm. And we've seen the growers, as Luke was saying, you know, they've been early adopters and we've seen the yields on their farm increase, you know, with the new varieties and with their expertise. And Luke, as you're managing, you know, some of those decisions on when to plant, when to harvest, what about in your situation being organic, any concerns with weeds or, or when you run over the crop during harvest, any concerns with it bouncing back the next year or, or leaving tram lines um, out through your fields? This is my favorite crop to grow. Um, so any perennial within an organic rotation uh, does very well. It competes with weeds very well. It establishes a deep root system. If I could choose, I would plant my whole farm into this. But we're, you know, we're waiting to develop the market. And, you know, like, with, like we talked earlier, it's, you know, it's part of a rotation. The yield drops off after a while. But uh, I have seen no issues uh, growing this crop organically. And that means that conventionally, this is also a great crop. Um, the ven- the benefits are going to be there on both sides. A follow-up on that and kind of ties into a question we had from at Fondwater on Twitter, um, talking about you know how it fits into your rotation that um, he, he was asking about relay cropping. Um, I'm not sure that it would be able to really relay crop, but how about to kind of be able to fit into a double crop situation where you could harvest something, then plant. And and when did you plant it? Like, are you planting this in September or October? Or are we talking like it needs to be planted in July, but for your organic, yeah, you can get it planted in July, let some of the weeds winter kill. Then you got a nice thick crop there in the spring. And is it really thick or what's the seeding rate? The agronomic ins and outs. We got to know what are the details here? Absolutely. Let's stick, let's stick on the agronomics of it for a little while, because that's the biggest challenge is with a new crop is how do I plant it? When do I plant it? At what rate? What kind of fertility plan do I need? Right. So I planted my crop after both barley, both wheat and, and flax. So they're early maturing crops. So I can get it in August 15th to September 7th. And that might be the challenge with the corn soybean rotation, but you can plant it, you know, in the spring and take it as forage. So if you don't have the option of planting it after a small grain crop, you can still plant it in the spring, use the the biomass as forage, and then the next year you'll be able to harvest a grain crop. We plant it at 12 to 15 pounds per acre depending on pure live seed, which is low amount of seed to put out there. But this this crop kind of acts as like a perennial grass where it's kind of a bunch grass. It's kind of my best way to describe it. It grows a uh, deep root ball and kind of keeps branching out 
new spindles from there. In the fall, when you plant it, you kind of walk out in the field and you look across your field and you think, man, did I screw up? Did my drill not put down what I thought I was putting down? It progresses slowly in the beginning, but next spring, it's the, it's the first thing that's green in my county. And did you drill it in or how are you actually getting it applied? Like what's the spacing that, okay, in the fall, there's maybe not a whole lot there, but in the spring, it sounds like it's pretty darn good. Yeah. And and in the fall, we leave our, you know, our small grain residue on top and we just intercede it right into it. We plant on seven and a half inch spacings. Uh, we have a John Deere no-till drill. We plant from 12 to 15 pounds per acre. And like I said earlier, you can plant it in the spring but you'd have to plan on taking that first year's crop as a four inch. Probably wouldn't get any seed off that crop. And another option would be grazing that crop. This gives a livestock producer options. No herbicide really required. We've had no issues on our organic farm with weeds whatsoever. We haven't had any issue this far north with the humidity as far as vomitox or dawn. There are people that have these issues, but it's not like a, it's not a main concern. So we haven't had to use, we, we went anyway, but it, conventionally you wouldn't need to worry about using fungicides. It's like anything else. It depends on the year. So not, not really any inputs going into it. And is the cost of seed expensive? Because there's not a whole lot of other inputs besides planting, seed, harvest. Yep. Right. The cost of seed right now is kind of in the works. I was just reading an email right now. We're working with a a local seed supplier as far as what we're going to charge them for seed off the farm. And I think that what we're going to to do is we are going to compare it to like alfalfa, where the cost up front might seem a little expensive, but then you spread that over three years worth of production. And it's actually very reasonable. And if you look at the income that this crop has the potential to bring in, the seed costs are minimal. How many years do you get, how many years of a crop do you get out of this? Yeah, that's, that's another thing that we're working on. We've had three successful years of Kernza profitably. I've heard of research done at the Land Institute where they've grazed it intensively the fourth year and then had comparable yields the fifth year as they did in the first and second year. So that tells me like there's, um, anywhere between three and five years worth of profitable income off this crop. And depending on your rotation, like you got to look at those non-cash benefits. What kind of fertility am I building? Am I getting straw off this for my own livestock or to sell? Do I have the option to have a, you know, a 40 acre field to winter my calves on? Things like that. So yeah, anywhere from three to five years. So Tessa, this crop is definitely made quite a bit of headlines. And one of those groups that's looking at it is General Mills. What are, what are you guys gathering from General Mills? Um, and what are you seeing coming down the pipeline from other groups that are also taking an interest to Kernza? So General Mills is still planning on, on a serial release in 2022. So currently we also have a couple of products on the market. Patagonia Provisions was actually the first commercial producer that that had a product on the market and they have two beers, Long Root Ale and Long Root Wit. They're looking at a food product this year as well as expanding the beer profile. So we will hopefully see a couple of more products from them. General Mills was was really influential early on in helping establish uh, Kernza processing line. So making sure that we had a place to get 
Kernza cleaned and dehulled. And now we see that there are smaller companies that are that are coming online, like Perennial Foods, as as Luke mentioned, who are doing their own cleaning and dehulling. We've also been in talks with a lot of other companies that are definitely interested. I think, you know, with COVID, things slowed down somewhat, but we've had a lot more calls and a lot more companies that are again starting to want to pick up their their product line and, and are really interested in adding something with Kernza. The place where we're seeing the most growth is in Europe, in um, Sweden and Denmark and in France. Uh, those are kind of the big places where, where we have hubs developing, where there are researchers and there's also commercial interest. And the follow-up to that is you had mentioned that there has been about maybe 4,000 acres or so of Kernza being grown commercially, but what's the outlook for 2021 going to be? Do you have an, any estimate on how many acres you think they'll be harvested in 2021? And then what, based on, sounds like there's a lot of companies with interest. How many acres do we need to be able to really get more of these markets up off the ground? It's a really good question. So for 2021, I don't have a target number of acres. I, I think I'm still waiting to, see, because we have until the fall for planting, I'm still waiting to see how how these companies come along and whether whether they're really interested in in supporting growers and taking the risk of this new and very innovative crop. Um, so I'm not really sure exactly, but I also, you know, if if I'm going to answer how many acres do we need, tens of thousands <laughs> in order to preserve soil. I mean, that that is really, in my view, perennials are the best solution we have to to preserving soil, to climate change, to all of those things. So I really believe that we need tens of thousands of acres, um, millions of acres. But I do think that it's really important to ensure that growers have a place to sell it as well. So so we've been really committed to to building those those two streams together and making sure that growers have a say in how Kernza gets scaled up. Yeah. How do you scale that when it comes to a, a crop like this, that is right now at the time, such a, you know, a small acre crop, how do you scale that with the markets and control some of that? Are, are these crops sold and contracted ahead of time? And what do you do in the event of a crop failure that takes out half the crop? One of the solutions I think is, as Luke was saying, you know, getting growers to organize around having co-ops and things like that so that they're working together to make sure there is a supply and that that and that that market analysis is done and, and they understand kind of what that supply should be. But I also would say that, that this the other thing that is important is making sure that there's transparency along the supply chain. So in the next year, we we expect to see what we what we've been calling the Kearns of Stewards Alliance to get stood up, and it's a it will be a multi stakeholder organization that kind of cuts across the supply chain. So we'll have grower representatives, researcher representatives, but also, you know, representatives from the processing and distribution world as well as from the food man- manufacturing world to make sure that all of those people are talking to one another about what that supply needs to look like for everyone and what that price point needs to look like for everyone and and so that we can all work together to to get there. And I think that's one of the most unique things that Kernza has to offer. You know, yes, it's a perennial grain crop, but it also has this collaborative pre-competitive 
organization where everyone is talking to one another across the supply chain. And it's not just um, everyone, you know, holding their cards so close to their chest that they can't possibly come to come to an agreement. So Luke, keep digging us into this as far as the conversations that you're having with farmers, maybe some of your neighbors, people that are that are close to you. What are they asking? Or like, I guess, what advice are you giving to them and tie that into how you're helping to build the market and build the supply through groups like the cooperative marketing agencies and common some of these, you know, kind of a co-op type structure to being able to really build up a scalable market. How are those conversations going with other farmers around you? So everybody wants to go out and plant something. Everybody wants to put something in the ground when the buzz gets put out there. And there's a buzz and it's big. There aren't that many pounds of kerns in the bin right now. And we're working as hard as we can as a co-op to move them. And that takes a lot of collaboration between the farmers and the processors. It'll come. There, we, I feel like we don't have a choice. But whether or not it happens will depend on the farmers and whether or not they will have enough discipline in the market that we don't end up with too much supply or not enough. And I'm not going to use the word supply management because that pushes a lot of people away. But all I'm saying is it's up to us to be in communication with each other and our processors, not this age old game of ups and downs in the market where you can hang on if you're big, but if you're small, you're out, you know, so like to get way to get rid of that fluctuation in the market, have a steady supply, a consistent supply and a quality supply. So our processors are comfortable with moving forward and putting a product on the shelf. If we don't come together as farmers and do the work that it takes to make that happen, it won't happen. It's up to us to do it. I mean, I've, I've got one very important question here. I've got a star next to it. I'm wondering what the beer actually tastes like. It's good. It's very good. It is good. <laughs> Got to get our hands on some of that, Zach. We're going to have to try for ourselves. Bang Brewery in Minneapolis has has Kernza beer available. If you're west, I think pretty much west of the divide, you can you can get the Patagonia beers out of Hopworks Urban Brewery. What a better way to get the conversation going than to sit around with a, a couple of beers and talk about what it is that we're doing here with Kernza. Another good conversation. Uh, Luke Peterson, farmer out of Madison, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, Luke. And Tessa, really great um, to have you on the podcast here today. And uh, really awesome to see different groups like yours that are taking initiative to to find new opportunities for farmers. So thanks for, your do- thanks for being on and thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Thanks. Well, Zach, today uh, just exemplifies why being a professional podcaster is amongst the uh, world's top jobs. I would say this comes second to a helicopter. So we're, again, getting close. We're getting close. We're knocking it off the bucket list. Today, we get a drink beer on the podcast. All right, everyone. So we put in a special order for some Kearns of beer from the Bang Brewing Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. Sandy Boss Febo is the co-owner and sent us some info about a boot, a boot. Is that how I'm boat. supposed to say it for you, Zach? A boot. Yeah, it's a boat. A boat. A boot. <laughs> so she sent us some info about the beer that they sent to us. It's called Suds, and it's their cream ale that's made with Kernza. 
She said that the beer we're trying here is the first in their perennial percent series. And the idea behind it is that they're trying to model a recipe that large production breweries could adopt. 750 milliliters here. This is the Suds Cream Ale from Bang Bang Brewing. Yep. The special beer because it's actually made from Kernza. And we have our producer, Annie, is here with us. Yes. Full family endeavor here today. (laughs) One. Oh, I don't know. Two. Okay. You put it in a glass? That's good. All right. Bottoms up. All right. Bottoms up. Oh, it's good. Yeah. I'd say that's good. Hmm. That is creamy. Very cream ale How does it compare to um, frat water? Oh, yeah. No, definitely more creamy than frat water. I would order this at a restaurant with a steak. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Yeah. I can totally taste the Kernza in there. Just a hint of Kernza. Ah, yes. That Kernza finishes nicely. Yeah. You can taste it on the back of the palate. Mm. <laughs> Not a tailgating beer. Does this feel kind of strong to you guys, or is it just normal? It, no, it is 4.7. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Zach, you got the sucker done yet? No, I'm sipping it. I'm a sipper. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Well, catch right. you later. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> Same time next Monday. <laughs> Don't post this anywhere without our written consent. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> All right. See you later. All right. Up hey now. All right. Bye. bye. That is it for Fieldwork today. Our show is produced by Annie Baxter with a lot of help from Lori Stern, Amy Mayer, Mike Langseth, and Corey Suzuki. Kristen Schmidt helps us out with social media. Ellie Lyons does our marketing. And Lauren Humper is our project coordinator. Thank you to all the technical directors at American Public Media who help us record and mix the show. Be sure to check us out on social media where we are at Fieldwork Talk on all the usual channels. And of course, we would love it if you wrote us a review to help others find us. Don't forget to leave us a voicemail. Call in with your comment or a question at 651-228-4810. That's 651-228-4810. Today we salute you, Mr. Kernza Growing Farmer. Mr. Kernza Growing Farmer. <laughs> You grow that perennial crop to grow us some nice beer because barley and rye just ain't going to cut it. He grows a perennial crop because barley and rye just doesn't cut it. (laughs) So raise your glass, Mr. Kernza Farmer, you. You keep that soil covered and brew us some nice tasty beer. Mr. Kernza Gry Farmer, dude. (laughs) Now I know how the show's going to end. That was awesome. (laughs)